during this pandemic, Jackson State University has made bold and necessary steps to protect our student athletes. In hopes to get our fans back in the stands, we ask for our Tiger family support. You can donate today to the COVID-19 Athletic Relief Fund. Your donation will assist in the funding of financial support for student athletes, recruiting, and loss of revenue due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for all contributions, and remember, believe be blue. Donate at gojsutigers.com forward slash give. Registration is now open for the 2020 W.C. Gordon Ashley Robinson Golf Classic. The event is scheduled for Friday, September 4th at Lake Carolyn Golf Course in Madison, Mississippi. For more information on the golf tournament, visit GoJSUTigers.com or click on the link in the show notes. Tiger fans, welcome to episode 58 of the official Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club podcast, bringing you all the latest news, updates, and buzz surrounding your mighty JSU Tigers. I am the Corey C. Be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast to be notified of every new episode. Apple users, rate and review the show, and everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Twitter. It all helps the cause, which is the I love, Jackson State University. Hosting today's show are Charles Bishop and Neely. Welcome to another episode of the Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club podcast. I'm Charles Bishop, along with my co-host for this episode, Chris Neely. Welcome back in, buddy. Hey, Chuck. How's it going, man? Appreciate you having me. No problems. I have to say, you know, I'm extremely excited for this episode. We have the the unique opportunity today to talk with a name and a voice that is woven into the tapestry of HBCU football and the HBCU culture, a member of the Black College Hall of Fame, 23 years as the lead voice of BT's broadcast of HBCU football. Let's welcome in Mr. Charlie Neal. Well, it's good being with you, Chris. How are you, how are you guys today? Doing hey, well, doing, good, doing sir, well. Doing good. Sure thing. I, I tell you what, I've, I, I can't. I, I was I was telling uh, Chris earlier how excited I was to, to get you on the program uh, for a young man who grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, and lived and breathed everything Jackson State football uh, and the BT broadcast of, of, of HBC football. Uh, you were <laughs> inextricably linked to my childhood in terms of just uh, uh, enjoying everything about HBCU football, Mr. Neal? Well, I, I, I enjoyed doing it. I mean, it's uh, when when BET first started back in 1980, of course, there was not a lot of exposure in terms of uh, historically black colleges and, and universities in terms of athletics. And that was the whole purpose with uh, Bob Johnson, who founded BET, was trying to do is give more exposure to historically black colleges and universities, especially on the sports side. And uh, it was an honor and it was a pleasure to be uh, on the forefront of being able to give exposure to come to Jackson State, to go to Delaware State, to go to Florida A&M, to go to uh, Mississippi Valley, all those places. And uh, whether it be football or basketball, we did a, a variety of different events over the course of those years. And it was it was just uh, an honor and a pleasure to be able to 
to uh, expose or bring exposure to those particular uh, athletic programs. Yeah, that's that's outstanding, uh, Chuck. I, I think you know when you when you brought us on and you talked about the name and the voice and it just being synonymous with with H, HBCU sports. Uh, it's just outstanding mm-hmm. to have you know a caliber of, uh, of this contribution to HBCU on the show. And you know when I think about uh, you know the, the world of sports and higher education, it's always been said that you know uh, sports is the front door to university. So. I don't care if it's Notre Dame or USC, most people get their knowledge of a school, you know, by, by the athletic programs. And, and what's so special about today's guest and in, in, in HBCUs is that there's so many folks, uh, white or even black, uh, that didn't have a knowledge or introduction uh, to what historically black college or university was until you had, uh, you know, BET and, and Charlie Neal and, and co-hosting with Lim Barney to just to introduce it. So, so I I, I want to ask you, know, what what is it like to be uh, personally and professionally associated uh, with the brand of HBCUs and the importance of just from a marketing standpoint that people get that introduction and have that introduction via the the shows and the products that you were producing out there. Well, one of the things that uh, again, like I said earlier, the the exposure that was not there. You know, if you remember back in those day, every now and then you would get a, a one game a year, ABC might show a, a black college game once a year. But the 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 product that was out there in terms of uh, the athletes that were uh, on display at the time, the Rick Mahorns in basketball, the Jerry Rices in football, I mean, that that was – the forerunner to allow people to understand the AJ English is in basketball. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you, you go on, you know, the, the, the list is on, goes on and on and on. And it's just ironic. Uh, Steve McNair and uh, uh, Jay Walker. I mean, people like that, you just could not, uh, they weren't getting the exposure elsewhere. And what we mm-hmm. did, we put a lot of, a lot of their, uh, names on the map. Uh, I know, for example, Wes Unsell, who just recently passed away, who was mm-hmm. coach and general manager with the Washington uh, Bullets back then. It was called the Bullets. You know, he watched one of our basketball games, and and uh, he was impressed by one of the players that he saw from Virginia Union. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, he drafted that kid based on what he saw on BET. Uh, we know that uh, we saw uh, a, a number of Terry Davis and people like that. We saw a lot of these kids uh, who normally, and these were Division II schools, the Virginia Unions, and they had a powerhouse back then. But without BET, a lot of people would not know about them. Uh, same thing with with what what happened with the uh, with Mississippi Valley. I mean, I I always talk about the greatest one of the greatest games I ever did involved Mississippi Valley and Southern University. You know and of course, Bill Walsh, who eventually took over or drafted Jerry Rice and, and adopted that same type of offense that Archie Cooley was running down at the, down at Mississippi Valley. They call it the West Coast offense, but <laughs> Mississippi Valley had been running it for years with Totten and Rice. Yes, sir. So, yeah, those mm-hmm. are the types of those are the types of things that we were able to do and bring exposure to and let people the the, the world know what was happening and who. Were, who was out there making 
things happen as far as HBCUs were concerned, especially from the athletics front. We also did you know, some tennis matches. We also did some golf things. We we did the UNCF. In fact, I just had a, a Zoom interview with Zena Garrison uh, last week. Uh, she lives down in Houston, Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, top-notch tennis player uh, who was very uh, involved in the UNCF, United Negro College Fund, fundraisers that we had every year. And BT, excuse me, BT covered those things, you know, and that, that was very, very important. Tyler, let, let me go back and ask, uh, how, how did you get started in the broadcast industry? I, I was perusing, you know, social media, and I came across this iconic photo, photo of you with uh, the CBS broadcasting crew, uh, and I know you started with BET in 1980, but uh, how how exactly did you get started in uh, uh, sports broadcast? Well, actually, I started in the in the broadcast business as a radio disc jockey. Believe it or not. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I I was some years ago. Deion Sanders was putting together a rap album, and I was doing an interview with him for BET, and we were down in Atlanta. This is when he was playing in Atlanta, and we were in the studio, and uh, he was talking about rapping. I said, Dion, you don't know nothing about rap. I said, I was rapping <laughs> before you were born. <laughs> I said, I, I, said I, I, was, I was a radio DJ. I started out in Philadelphia. I was the geeter with the heat of the big boss with the big hot sauce, rocking the big TikTok of the big power tower. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they, <laughs> you know, I wasn't the house rock. I was the house rocker's son. I was going to be a wiggle to your wobble cub. So, you know, that was <laughs> that was the thing. I love I it. Doing. Yeah. Uh, and I, that was, I started out uh, as a radio disc jockey. I got a, an opportunity to uh, come to Washington, D.C., and uh, become a radio DJ there also. I started out in Philadelphia, went to Durham, North Carolina, came back to D.C. And while I was in D.C., uh, working in, in, in on the radio, this the local NBC station, which is Channel 4 in Washington, D.C., uh, was specifically, this was 1970, looking to hire an African-American to do sports. They had three white gentlemen doing sports, Dan Daniels, Jim Simpson, and Maurice Siegel. And then they were looking to add a fourth, but they wanted specifically an African-American to do it. And I auditioned with three, two other people. One was Kurt Flood, the former baseball player. Wow. And the other was Ron Pinckney, who was uh, uh, synonymous with black college sports, who passed away recently. Uh, he was doing Hampton University stuff. And myself, we auditioned for that position, and I got the job. And I was doing weekend sports at Channel 4 in Washington, D.C. I started in 1970, and that's how it actually got started from the sports standpoint of view in terms of television. Now, I had done, when I was in North Carolina, uh, working in, 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 and prior to coming to uh, uh, to that station, I had done some radio uh, games play by play when I was in North Carolina. I used to do some North Carolina Central games and things of this nature on our radio. But as far as television, that was my first uh, actual uh, venture into the TV side of, of broadcasting. But I was a local sports guy. Every weekend I was there. Saturday, Sunday, I did the sports. And I filled in for the other guys doing the week. 
So, and then I was doing my radio. So I was doing two jobs. I was, I was a radio DJ from two to six in the afternoon at WOOK in Washington D.C. And then on the weekends or in the evening, I would go over to, and do the news over Channel Four for sports. Outstanding. You know, uh, we always think of of your name and voice with HBCU sports, but particularly with with Jackson State sports because you've been in Jackson, whether it's the AAC for basketball or. Veterans Memorial Stadium for football, but but on TV the world has associated you with with Jackson State because of your partnership with with Lim Barney, uh, who had no outstanding question. career Jackson State and in, in the NFL and the Hall of Famer. <laughs> Talk to us about how that relationship uh, and partnership and broadcasting developed between you and Lim. Well, I worked in Detroit when Lim was still playing with the Detroit Lions, and we became friends then because I used to cover the Lions and I used to do their their games preseason games. I did their, all their preseason games, and then I covered their games on a weekly basis, whether it was at, uh, at well, whether it was at, in Detroit or on the road. So Lem and I uh, had a relationship, and so when BET came into existence, which was 1980, and uh, Bob Johnson, uh, and I, like I said, I worked in Detroit in, in, in uh, television there, Channel 2, the CBS station, uh when they came to me about doing the games in black college athletics on, and football, um, Bob Johnson said he had a person in mind he wanted to work with me, which was Roy Jefferson, if you remember him, who was a wide yeah. receiver who had played with the Redskins. Uh, mm-hmm. Roy Jefferson was the name that Bob Johnson has came up with, but he said, you know, if you have anybody you want to work with, let me know. And I approached Lim and asked him would he be interested, and he said, sure enough, because, of course, uh, my whole thing was to try to get someone who could could relate to HBCUs. Not that Roy Uh Jefferson would not have done a good job, but Roy was not a product of an HBCU. Uh, Uh And and Lim was, having been at Jackson State. So uh, I said to Bob, I said, okay, I said, I prefer to have Lim Barney he said, whatever you want, it's, it's up to you. So that's how the relationship with Lim and I uh, came to be. 23 years we were together. We were, we were the, the longest or as, as long a running duo in football on television as anybody. And, and uh, we equaled Madden and Summerall. Uh, oh, wow. Patrick and wow. John Madden, they were together for a number of years, and Lim Barney and I were together as long, if not longer, than they were. Mm. Charlie, let, let me ask you, did you have any idea that that broadcast and HBCU games would kind of become a, a cultural phenomenon? And I say that uh, some people, you know, their their introduction uh, to HBCU culture might have been school days or a different world or a Cosby show. But for me, it very much was uh, you and, and, and Lim Barney. Did you – kind of have an idea that you guys were embarking upon something pretty big. No, I don't think we did. Uh, you know, I, I always I went into it as looking at it as let's what, what can we do to make America aware and make people understand and know what's happening in terms of black colleges and give exposure to these young athletes, these student athletes, and, and let people know that you know they don't have to go to Alabama to be recognized or or Notre Dame or Southern Cal. 
And that was the whole thing. I, I never looked at it as, you know, what it would do for me or my career or anything of this nature. I was looking at it of, you know, hey, let's do the best job we can and, and, and to put this product out there and let people know what's going on. And that's that's the way I approached it. Sure thing. You know, you talk about that kind of uh, impact uh, in, in lives with HBCUs. I know that throughout your career, uh, whether it's as, as a DJ or particularly in sports and television, there's always been a crossroads of of, uh, of sports and, and black athletes as it relates to social change and social justice. And you're seeing that, uh, I don't want to say reemerge, but there's a, a new intensity uh, to it now. So if, when you look back over your career, and, and one thing, Chuck, that a lot of folks may not know out there about Mr. Neal is he, he actually trains police officers. He's, he's you yes. know, special mm-hmm. operations and motorcycles and all that kind of thing. So when you talk yes. about the impact that sports and black athletes even has a responsibility to some degree has on social justice. How have you seen that ebb and flow, and, and where do you see the direction of it going? Well, of course, we we know all the things that's been happening recently, especially with the Floyd uh, incident and how a lot of athletes, even some we haven't heard speak up before when it came to uh, making having an opinion about what's happening in the world. We've we've heard some athletes now or former athletes, you know, getting involved and speaking up and, you know, understanding, you know, a lot of people were against the Kaepernick deal because they thought that he was kneeling for the wrong reasons. He wasn't kneeling to protest the American flag. He wasn't kneeling to protest the national anthem. He was kneeling to bring awareness to the fact that there were some injustices being uh, perpetrated uh, and and promulgated in the in the community is against African Americans when it's in in certain areas and so mm-hmm. the message was was misconstrued uh, by many and I think after the Floyd incident people start to understand that that message wasn't misconstrued that message was for real and even to the point where the leagues are getting on board. Uh, the commissioner of the NFL, he didn't have a problem with the per- with, with athletes kneeling or, or players kneeling, you know. And so we're seeing uh, a complete uh, reversal in attitudes on a lot of people. Of course, you're going to have the diehards out there who will never see it uh, the way the Kaepernick saw it or that a lot of African Americans see what's happening. You, you, you're going to have people that will never change their ways. They, they will still think that the Confederate flag should be flying and things of this nature. So, you know, but again, when you have, the, the I think the, the best thing that's come out of the Floyd uh, uh, situation is when you see all the protests now, it's not just black people out there protesting. You know, right. you, you've, got, you've got young, you've got old, you've got black, you've got white, you have Hispanic, you have Asian. I mean, everybody seemingly has taken up uh, and, and taken an interest in what's happening in terms of social injustices. And they realize maybe it wasn't me, maybe it wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't my, 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 uh, my peers, but somewhere along the line there was an injustice and it needs to be corrected. Yes, sir. That's very powerful. Um, let me let me ask Charlie, and, and and we are you know experiencing uh, quote unquote upheaval, conference churning, if you will, uh, in terms of HBCU football, uh, with the additions 
uh, to the swag of Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman and kind of the position right now uh, that the MEAC is, is seemingly in, and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, how important going forward is the financial success of HBCU football and television, uh, especially in, in regards to uh, uh, how they're presented on ESPN? Well, number one, uh, you know, you have to understand when schools make moves. Now, uh, the FAMU, uh, Bethune-Cookman move had some uh, had some legitimacy about it. I'll put it that way. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the A&T Hampton move, other than they just wanted to move to another conference. You know, right. um, Savannah State, you know, the MEAC has lost five schools in the last two, three years. You know, Hampton, Savannah State, A&T is going this year, along with FAMU and Bethune-Cookman. So that's five schools. That knocks them down after the next season uh, at the end of 2021, at the end of the school year 2021. It'll be they'll only have uh, seven, I'm sorry, eight schools in the conference. Mm-hmm. Six of which will be football schools, because Coppin State and Maryland Eastern Shore don't play football. Mm-hmm. So, I was on a conference call with uh, the commissioner of the MIAC yesterday, with along with uh, uh, the president of the president's council, the, the chairman of the president's council, Doctor, uh, uh, the president of Howard Wayne. University. Wayne Dr. Frederick. Frederick, yes, sir. Yeah, and uh, so they were they were talking about what the plans are for the conference going forward. Uh, it's you know a lot of a lot of what's happening in terms of, and even Hampton used this as an example of why they made the move to the Big South because they said that the schools that they were participating with in that conference geographically was in a confined area. In other words, they didn't have to go to Tallahassee or Daytona Beach. They could, they didn't have to go any further than North Carolina and the state of Virginia. So a lot of times these moves are made from a financial standpoint of view, number one, for travel. <laughs> number two, you have to also think about your student-athletes and how much time they're spending away from actual campus and their studies because they're in a travel mode uh, because of where their, their their teams have to go. So some of those uh, moves and, and are, are done with that in, in mind. Savannah State moved down to Division II. They moved away from the yeah. Division I. Yeah. And, moved, and moved to Division Two. So that's, that's the difference between what they did and the other four. The other four states. Now, the MEAC right now has has uh, hired a consulting firm to go and look at, you know, schools that may be interested uh, in coming into the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. And they don't have to necessarily bring all of their sports programs. See, the one thing that MEAC has to be aware of, and, and they, they are aware of, careful of, is if they – they have the NCA does give them two years to correct whatever issues they have, but you, you have to have seven football playing schools to maintain their Division One status in football. In football, okay. uh, they mm-hmm. can maintain their Division One status in basketball with no problem because they have eight schools. 
but seven schools is your your minimum number. But they don't have to have it right this moment because they have the NCAA gives them two years in which to fill that void. But what they can do is let's say they bring in a school that uh, will just come in as a football player in the conference as an associate member and just playing football because the conference right now has three schools. The MEAC has three schools that are not full members of the MEAC, but they come in in certain sports as associate members. One is uh, is uh, Alabama-Birmingham. The other one is Monmouth. They both compete in the MEAC in bowling, in women's bowling, you know, okay. uh, so as, as associate members. Augustus College down in Georgia is an associate member in the MEAC in, in men's golf. So that same thing could happen uh, in terms of, uh, a school coming into the MEAC and just coming in as a football playing member. So that would give them their seven schools that they need in order to continue to maintain that Division One status. So, I mean, in terms of the SWAC, the SWAC is, you know, <laughs> they, they, uh, they, they've got six teams they can put in the East. They have six teams they can put in the West. You know, when you look at the uh, the one the one division, I think Jackson State, along with Alcorn, the two Mississippi schools. Uh, I'm saying, I'm sorry, the two uh, Texas schools and um, and the two Louisiana schools would mm-hmm. would be maybe in the uh, in the West uh, of, of the of this Southwestern Athletic Conference, and the only other Mississippi school that would go in the East would put Mississippi Valley in the in the East. With uh, I'm sorry, you got to, you have Arkansas Pine Bluff over there too, so you got we Arkansas we often Pine. forget about them as well, Charlie. So we understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have Arkansas Pine Bluff, and, and you know, so it it can work out. You have your two Alabama schools, Alabama and M, Alabama State. You have your two uh, Florida schools, Florida and M, and Bethune, and you have uh, Pine Bluff and um, Mississippi Valley. And that would that would mm-hmm. make up your east, so it it would work out. It could work out. Uh, so we'll see what happens. You know, going forward, uh, and that's me talking. That's not something that the SWAC has said. That's what they're going to do. I was just looking geographically at what would work. Sure, sure. I I I I, I agree with your assessment. I think that it's it's you know growth always has some challenges. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you just have to be aware of those things. And, and, and you're particularly in HBCU world, uh, we value our rivalries. So you have to come up with a format, uh, you know, where, where Jackson State continues to play Alcorn and Southern continues to play Grambling. And, of course, Sam is going to want to continue to play Bethune-Cookman and so forth and so on with the, with the two Alabama schools and their rivalries. Uh, but mm-hmm. from a budget standpoint, particularly with a – of post-COVID-19 and, and the impact that will potentially have on enrollment and resources for HBCUs, the, the awareness of the cost of travel, and as you said, uh, and, and put it, I think, perfectly, that, that the awareness of that these are student athletes first and being on the road that much can take away from being students, uh, there are going to be some challenges to it, but I think it can be sorted out. Right. Oh, yeah, it will be. And, 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 you know, one of the things is I know the, both conferences, and not only those conferences, but every everybody, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's got their thinking cap on and, and contingency plans and what the what-if syndrome is very, very much alive right now. Very much so. 
you know, Charlie, uh, and as we bring this this podcast uh, to a close, I wanted to kind of close out, uh, you know, uh, with Jackson State Podcast. And I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, what are your memories of, of, of HBCU games broadcast, especially the Jackson State ones, or, or were there uh, special moments with, with you and Liam especially? Well, one thing about working a Jackson State game with Lim, now you're familiar with Memorial Stadium in Jackson, Mississippi. No doubt. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've been at that top level where we broadcast the games. It was an open booth. Mm-hmm. So whenever whenever we did a game there, especially, uh, I always had to, to make sure I went out and rented a parachute for Lim. Because... <laughs> because any time Jackson State scored, I thought he was going to jump out the booth. So I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that he was going to be protected when he did jump. So that's why we had the parachute. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, we've had some great times there. Uh, the the, the Alcorn-Jerry uh, Rice-Ike Hope game, uh, the sold-out Sunday game, if you remember mm-hmm. that. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. That, at the moment, Mississippi Memorial Stadium, uh, Veterans Memorial Stadium, uh, homecomings. Uh, I mean, it go the the list goes on and on and on. I spent so much time there and so many games there. I may have probably spent more time at Jackson State when I think about it than any other school in in HBCU school in in uh, in terms of our broadcasting. I think mm-hmm. I probably did more games at Jackson State on Jackson State at at, the, at that stadium than anywhere else. Because uh, when I start thinking back about it, I mean, it was sometimes two t- twice a year. And even after BET, uh, after we BET stopped doing uh, games there and we started with ESPN, ESPNU, Eddie Robinson and I came in there and did games. So, mm. <laughs> you know, former Alabama State uh, linebacker. And so yeah. mm-hmm. it was yeah, – it was, uh, you know, again, it was like <laughs> it never left, it never, uh, it never subsided. So it, it's always been a special place in my in my heart, my mind. You know, from the W. C. Gordons and all the coaches over the years at Jackson State, uh, both on the football and basketball side, uh, mm-hmm. Covington and all of those guys. You know, so it's it's. Uh, uh, like I said, I spent a lot of time on the Jackson State campus, even coming there for basketball, uh, both men and women's basketball. So it's uh, it's it not because I went to Jackson State or anything, but it's always held a special place in my heart. No doubt about it. Good deal. Well, I definitely want to say thank you uh, for coming on our podcast and for uh, sharing your experiences, especially with broadcasting and and, and, and talking about the current uh, landscape or the current uh, stratosphere, stratosphere of HBCU uh, athletics. And I, I wanted to kind of uh, ask this one last question uh, in terms of are, are there any parting words that you have for uh, HBCU fans and, and the, the current, I, I guess, uh, uh, status of the industry, if you will? Well, first of all, don't give up on them, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Continue to support. The biggest thing with HBCUs, uh, and this, this is across the board, whether it's Division One or Division Two, CIAA, SWAC, MEAC, SIAC, is alumni need to continue to support. You know, one of the biggest problems that HBCUs have today is finances. 
you know, and it's been that way since the beginning of time, and it's, you know, it's not getting any easier. And the cost of everything continues to skyrocket and go up. And one of the things that I always encourage alumni to do is don't forget where you came from and to give back. I, I, I've sure. always preached that if every person who graduated from an HBCU gave just $5 a year, $5, I not said 500 5000 50 I said $5 a year. And you look at everybody who's graduated from Jackson State who's still alive today, let's say somebody who's graduated since 19, let's say 70, all right? That's 50 mm-hmm. years, okay? If everybody who's graduated over the last 50 years gave $5 a year back to Jackson State, how much money they could collect. So the mm-hmm. and that goes for every HBCU out there, whether it's Morris Brown, whether it's Morehouse, whether it's Howard University, whether it's Fayetteville State, Livingstone, you know, Johnson C. Smith, you know, uh, Claflin, you know, Savannah State, whoever. If you gave five dollars back uh, each year, that would heck of, would be a heck of a uh, boost in terms of their revenue. No doubt about it. No doubt For about sure. it. Well, once again, thank you, and we appreciate uh, your your voice and, and everything that you bring to uh, the HBCU culture, HBCU landscape, uh, sports broadcasting, and we appreciate. Uh, you coming on our podcast today? Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. No doubt. Thank you. And that'll do it for episode fifty eight of Tiger Talk with the fourteen hundred Club. Thank you to all of our listeners, and again, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast. Apple users, rate and review the show, and everyone follow Tiger Talk with the fourteen hundred Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk fourteen hundred on Twitter. I can't stress the importance of this enough. We're looking to do some big things with this platform to aid the athletics department, and it all starts with you. Downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. And tell every tiger that you know. We're on all podcast outlets. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. And we'll be posting each episode on our Facebook and Twitter pages. As always, thank you for your support. Go Tigers! Hashtag... The I love.